I was raised through the coal portering system, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. I have something that I want to share with you by way of announcements, and this is something I'm really, really excited about, really excited about in terms of GLOW. How many of you guys have ever passed out, tried to pass out literature or GLOW tracks when it's raining outside? Kind of difficult, huh? Well, guess what? We're working with the press right now to make waterproof GLOW tracks. Amen? Some of you are thinking, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. We're going to make waterproof glow tracks. I mean, think about the possibilities. Think about it. If you live in a place where there's snow, now you can put glow tracks out in the public and you don't have to worry about them getting soggy from that melting snow, right? Next time you're snorkeling or scuba diving, you can put some glow tracks right in your swimsuit and pass them out underwater if you bump into somebody. I'm waiting for the day. The day will come when I am going to get a voicemail of somebody calling in to request Bible studies because they found a glow tract uh, handed to them by somebody who was scuba diving underwater. That, that's what I'm aiming for. Anyway, I'm excited about that. Hopefully we'll have those out in the next few months. And we're also working, working on a whole line. Well, should I say this? I don't know. It hasn't been voted yet, but it's likely to be voted. And if it is voted, then we will work on a whole line of children's glow tracks, which you can pass out to little kids. Amen? Now, don't put that on social media, because we have competitors out there, and they might want to make the same thing. So, anyway, all right, let's have a word of prayer one more time, and ask the Lord to be with us. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can be together to iShare. It's our last evening together before we split, we part ways. Oh, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us just one more time. And as a ripple effect of our time together tonight, we pray that hundreds of thousands of people would hear the three angels' messages. Amen. Okay. Um, the title of tonight's message is You Must Prophesy Again. And I have to admit to you that uh, my presentation has changed from that title. But I think the title's still relevant. Because you guys have been prophesying this summer, door-to-door, telling people about the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. And uh, the mission is not done. You must prophesy again. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, how we can continue to spread the three angels' messages. But to start with, I'd like to show you three interesting men that I was doing some research on recently. Three really interesting men. First person, you might have heard of this guy. His name is Jedediah Buxton. This man was born in 1705. And uh, he was enamored with numbers. He was a mathematician, actually a mathematical genius. Uh, he, at one time in his life, uh, he actually walked uh, a thousand acres. He walked over it, and then he calculated its square area uh, to square inches just by walking over it. And then he took the square inches of that thousand acre area, and he broke it down to hair's breadths in his mind. The breadth of a hair, accounting 48 hairs per side of the square inch, and he broke that down in his head. He also took a number and he doubled it 139 times in his mind. So let me ask you, what's 2 times 2? What's 4 times 4? What's 16 times 16? How many times did you just successfully double that number? Only two times, right? This guy doubled it 139 times in his mind. And he came up with a number that was uh, that long. 39 digits long. And then later, he multiplied that number by itself. This man was incredible. He was a mathematician. Very smart. Next person, Kim Ong-yong, Korean brother. 
he has an IQ of 210. The average IQ is 90 to 110, just uh, you know, for reference sake. Uh, by the time he was six months old, he spoke Korean fluently. By the time he was three, he was a guest uh, physics student at Hanyang University. By the time he was five, he was solving differential equations on the TV programs. And by the time he was 16, he voluntarily left working for NASA. 16, he left working for NASA. All right? Next person, Kim Peek. Anybody ever seen this guy or heard of him? Heard of a movie called The Rain Man? It was based off of this brother. This guy, when he was born, he was so debilitated that the doctor told his parents that they ought to put him in some kind of ward and just forget about him. But his parents kept him. They raised him. He, today, to, to, to his dying day, he couldn't button his shirt. His dad has to help him to do such things like that, help him to walk. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's just severely debilitated. Um, but uh, Kim Peek is a very special person. He's, called, he's considered a mega savant. His head was so big that it actually took several years for him to be able to hold up his head on his own power. Um, one time when his father, when Kim Peek was very young, his father was reading a, a children's book to him, and Kim Peek said, Dad, you read that to me already. And the father said, oh, I did. And then Kim Peek proceeded to recite word for word the book back to his father, at which point his father was uh, a little bit interested, so he pulled out some other books that he had read and found out that Kim could recite to him every single word that he had ever read out of those children's books. Kim has the amazing ability to memorize absolutely everything that he reads. In fact, he's by the time of his death, which was not too long ago, he had memorized over 12,000 books. Um, he was a walking, talking encyclopedia, having memorized the encyclopedias, and a GPS having memorized world maps. He could tell you where to go direction-wise anywhere in the world. He could, you could list any date, any date, uh, you know, back to the BC times, and he could tell you what day of the week that date was. And uh, his, his passion was to go to the Salt Lake City Library and to memorize zip codes. So if you told him what state you're from or what, or what town you're from, he'd tell you immediately what that zip code was. This brother could read two pages simultaneously. His left eye would read the left page, his right eye would read the right page, and he'd go through, uh, I'm, not, I'm not making this up, look him up online, he would read through two pages in about three seconds, and then he'd move on to the next one. So he could go through fat books in, in a matter of a very short time and have the, almost a complete thing memorized. Kim Peek. Pretty amazing men, right? Man, don't you wish you had those kind of IQs and you could memorize everything you saw? Imagine that MagaBook canvas, right? <laughs> Hi, my name's Blink. We're students working on a scholarship project. Instead of junk, we've got something healthy. Let's take a look. Bang, you're done. Be so great. Well, you know, as, as cool as these guys are and as fantastic as their abilities are and as amazing as their brains are, you know, it's a lot more important for us to study not their mind but the mind of God, isn't it? The mind of God. In fact, you know, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Right? So my question this evening, as we're getting into our time together, is how can we know the mind of God? You know, we can go on Wikipedia and we can study about these three men. We can understand about their minds. But how can we understand the mind of God in a deeper way? Because apparently that's the more important thing, right? Understanding the mind of God. Well, I'm going to bring you a verse here that helps us. 
In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's in somebody's heart, what do you have to do? Listen to their words. Because before the words came out of their mouth, where did they start? In the heart. So if you want to know what's on the inside, you listen to what's coming out of the mouth, right? Um, I'll give you an example of this uh, that, that kind of helps illustrate this. Beethoven. Anybody here heard uh, this famous song, Moonlight Sonata? Yeah, right? You ever wondered what Beethoven was thinking when he was writing that song? Very sad song, isn't it? Beethoven actually uh, was, was uh, he had been engaged and his fiancée had just left him for another man when he wrote that song. So next time you listen to that song, think about what Beethoven was going through in his heart and you'll understand more, more, more fully what was coming out in his fingers in that composition. And similarly, when we look at God's word, we understand what was in his mind because God spoke it. But check this out. When God speaks, he doesn't just put it into the book, the Bible, but when God speaks, something else happens, right? Look at this verse, Psalms 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the what? The breath of his mouth. So if we under, want to understand the mind of God, not only can we look at his word here in the Bible, but we also must look at his word where? When God spoke, he created the entire universe, right? So when we study the universe, what are we really studying? We're really studying the mind and the heart of God, aren't we? Right? In fact, the entire universe is just a, a little snippet of what's in God's heart. That's what he was thinking at that very moment. It's amazing to think about that. Amazing to think about that. You know, as I think about it, the universe is a big place. We have a lot to learn about God's mind. This is a picture of the center of the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy. Um, you know, there's a lot of stars there, right? Uh, if you zoom in a little bit farther, um, it's kind of hard to see that because the lights are on right now, but there's even more stars. And this is uh, zooming in farther, and then yet farther, and we find more and more and more and more stars. In fact, the more and more scientists are studying the universe with the Hubble telescope, the more and more they're seeing that there's just an astronomical amount of planets and stars out there. Huge amounts. Huge amounts of planets and stars. I like to think about it this way, too. In Christ Object Lessons, Ellen White puts it this way. She says, this world is but an atom in the vast dominions over which God presides. This world is but a what? An atom. You know how small an atom is? It's amazingly small. Or in the, over, over the vast dominions that God presides. Now let's, you know, I've, I've taken this and I've thought about this. Because, you know, in high school my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, you know, uh, classes were on math. Let's, let's just assume that Ellen White, when she's talking about uh, the, the vast dominions here, that she's comparing our world being an atom in comparison with all the atoms in just our world. Okay? She says that our world is but one atom in comparison with something, right? So let's say she's comparing it to the whole world that we live on, planet Earth, all the atoms here. Anybody want to guess how many, how many atoms are, are in uh, planet Earth? There's a lot. <laughs> you know, scientists don't have any, any, any real number, but they can guesstimate. And if you look it up, this is what they're coming up with. The estimate of the total amount of atoms in our world is... 1.33 times 10 to the 50th power, or 133 quindecillion. What does that look like? That's the number. That's the number. 48 zeros after 133. Now, I know as you look at that, you're like, that really doesn't impress me because I can't even wrap my mind around that. 
you know, one atom in comparison with all these atoms, we're a pretty small world, right? But what does that really mean? I can't even grasp that. Well, let me share with you another illustration that'll maybe help you understand this, okay? You ever wondered how many grains of sand there are in the world's uh, beaches and deserts? There's actually people who have estimated that, okay? All this, the grains of sand in all the world's deserts and beaches. And they estimate it at 7.5 quintillion. 7.5 quintillion. And that's, this is what the number looks like. That's a much smaller number, isn't it? Right? So now let's compare these, okay? Let's compare these two numbers. The total amount of atoms in the world compared to the total amount of grains of sand in the world. You know, I was on the beach recently with our daughter, and we were playing around, and she loves playing in the sand. I love digging holes, and she goes into the hole, and, you know, she's very short, and she just, you know, has so much fun. But I was looking at just one, you know, handful of sand. There's no way I could count that, and that's just one handful, you know? But let's compare these two numbers. 133 quindecillion atoms to 7.5 quintillion grains of sand, and that comes down to there's... 17 trillion atoms per grain of sand. So if you take, and I probably lost most of you, so let me make this, let me just make this real, real easy to understand, okay? Ellen White said that our world is like one atom in comparison with all the rest of, you know, the world, okay? So if you take it and you break it down, this is every, for every grain of sand that you see on the beach, every grain, just a grain, you can compare that, look at that, and say there's likely that there are 17 trillion planets in the universe in comparison with this one grain of sand. 17 trillion planets in comparison with this one grain of sand. And then look at the rest of the beach. Do we have a lot to learn about the universe and about the mind of God? Amen? You know, by the way, 17 trillion, that's almost the U.S.'s national debt. <laughs> Just an interesting number to know. We have a lot to learn about God and his mind. Amen. I'm excited about going to heaven. We're not going to be floating around on clouds playing harps. We're going to be up there learning for the rest of eternity. Look at this picture. Here's a person looking up into the nighttime sky. Can you imagine if you're able to just take off up into the sky and look at all the things that God has created? It's going to be amazing to study the universe throughout all eternity. All eternity. I'm going to share with you a quote here. This is from the White, uh, Ellen White's writing. She says, all, speaking of, of the future and when we're in, in the new earth, she says, all the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. Unfettered by mortality, they wing their tireless flight to worlds afar with unutterable delight. The children of earth enter into the joy and the wisdom of what? Unfallen beings. They share the treasures of knowledge and understanding gained through ages upon ages in contemplation of God's handiwork. Who has been studying the universe for ages upon ages? The unfallen beings. And when we're off of this rock and we're able to go visit with them, what's going to happen? They're going to share all of that knowledge with us. Amen? You know that there, imagine how many worlds there are, how many of them are inhabited, how many of them are watching us right now? Isn't that kind of overwhelming to think about? The world watches what we do as Christians and God's remnant people. She goes on, and the years of eternity as they roll will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, 
so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. In other words, the more we learn about God, the more we learn about the universe, the more we're going to appreciate God, the more we're going to love God, and the closer we'll draw to him in our affections. She says in the last sentence here, the more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. You know, Jesus spoke about this topic in John 17, 3. He said, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus made the comparison himself. He said, it's going to take an eternal amount of time to know an eternal God. You ever wondered why we, why we have to live for all eternity? Because it's going to take that long just to get to know God. It'll never end. You can never understand God completely. And so we have to have an eternal amount of time in God's classroom to understand him. Conversely, the more we get to know God, uh, the more we, we draw closer to him and we begin the path of salvation. Because when Jesus is lifted up, guess what? We're drawn towards him. The more we learn about Christ, the more we're changed to become like him. By beholding, we become changed. So I'd like to just bring this to, down to a summary here before I move on to the next section of our talk here. The purpose of our existence, according to what we've just seen, the purpose of our existence is to know God and to make him known. Now, how do I derive that? What are we going to be doing through all eternity? We're going to be studying the universe, right? And we're going to be learning about who? The mind of God. So if that's our purpose then, what do you think our purpose is right now? It's the exact same thing. Our purpose in eternity is to know God and to learn and to grow in our knowledge of him and to begin to love him more and to become more like him and more and more and more and more like him. It's no different now. Our purpose as Christians and also as humans in general is to grow in our knowledge of God. But not only that, we're going to be sharing that knowledge to in eternity. Think about it. What do the angels do? Do they just learn about God and keep it to themselves? No, they're his messengers. They go to other worlds and they communicate God's will to them and who God is and more revelations of him. We just read that quote from Mrs. White where she talks about us visiting with unfallen beings. Well, what are those unfallen beings doing when we visit with them? They're telling us what they've learned. They're not just learning about God, but they're sharing about God. And likewise, friends, when we're off of this rock, <laughs> when all is said and done, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're not just going to be learning about God, but we're going to be going and we're going to be telling other people about it as well. In fact, we're going to have a special testimony, of course, because we're the only planet in the entire universe that's ever sinned. We're the only ones that have ever been redeemed. And so in that sense, we are going to continue to be witnesses for God through all eternity. So, so check this out. Our purpose in eternity is to know God and to share with people about God. And it's exactly the same here while we're on earth. On earth, our purpose for our existence is to know God and to also make God known. Right? You know, as young people, this is especially important for us to know. What's the purpose of existence? Why are we here? You know, when you're young, you, you know, you're making a lot of decisions, heavy decisions in life. Isn't it kind of ironic that the biggest decisions in life are when you're the most, uh, have the least amount of wisdom, <laughs> you know? Right? I mean, you're not 40 years old or something when you're deciding what career you're going to take or, you know, what direction you're going to head in life or who you're going to get married to. But God is there especially close to you in these times to help you and to guide you. So as young people, you, you, you have the promise that God is going to be especially close to guide and direct your steps. And this has been my experience. I'd like to quickly share with you a portion, another portion of my testimony. This is exactly my experience. God has, has worked in my life to help me to know him and then to make him known. I shared with you guys last night when, uh, 
when uh, Dr. Walsh and Lisa and myself were up front and we were sharing, uh, you know, testimonies about our own, you know, conversion process. So I shared with you a little bit about that, you know, the Jehovah's Witness who Bible bopped me and I got really upset at him. So I went back and I studied the Desire of Ages and it converted me. Amen. And I, I still, I, even tonight, I still recommend that book. Folks, if you haven't read the book Desire of Ages, man, you need to pick that book up and read it. Or The Great Controversy. Or Patriarchs and Prophets. You know, or the Bible. I mean, just pick it up. Read it. Amen. These are things we need to do. But God wasn't satisfied with just helping me to get to know him. A person who is reborn is reborn with a missionary spirit. And the first thing that happened after, after I met Jesus, after he revealed himself was to, to me, was I wanted to share that experience. And I know many of you have, ex have experienced that. Many of you are here this summer because you felt a call from God to go and to witness and to make God known. Well, in my particular experience, as God was moving me to, to spread the three angels' messages, when I was a, a junior in high school, God, God told me that he wanted me to go culportering. He wanted me to go canvassing. I was at Rio Lindo Adventist Academy at the time, uh, junior at the boarding school, and uh, you know one of my friends, Andy, he uh, was in my class. From he had just finished a culporting program in Nevada, Utah, and he came back, and he was so on fire, and he was telling all of us about his experience and how he was changed, and, and I said to myself, you know what? That's what I need. I need that kind of a program. So I went culporting after my, after my uh, junior year in high school, and boy, oh boy, did I not know what I was getting into. I don't know if any of you here can relate. I mean, I was raised, you know, in pretty uh, stricter portion of Adventism, but man, this was a whole nother level of commitment I'd never seen. I mean, I walked into the kitchen in the morning and I was hungry. I mean, to do two meals a day to begin with, that was kind of, you know. And then I walked in and they had something called fruit pizza. And I hope that they've discontinued that in the cold portering circles. Some of you are giving me glazed looks like you don't know what that is and your ignorance is bliss, friends. I mean, I walked into that kitchen hungry, and I walked out hungry. I was not going to eat that. Uh, it was an amalgamation in my mind. Fruit needs to be in the fruit platter, and pizza's over here, but they're not, you know, the twain shall not mix. And, you know, I'm, it, it, was, it, was, it was quite a culture shock to me. I remember the first door that I went to. I remember, I remember what it looked, the street looked like. I remember who the, the partner was that I was dropped off with. His name was Timothy George. His family are missionaries out in the Philippines. And I remember the first, even the first door, it, there was a screen in front of that door. I remember it. And I had a cookbook. It was called More Choices. No, it was called Choices. That was before More Choices came out. Some of you don't even know what More Choices is. There weren't many choices back then. In terms of MAGA books, our bags were pretty light. But, um, you know, so, so I remember knocking on that door and I was, I was kind of intimidated. And this old grandma comes out. And I, I was still intimidated. And, you know, I was like, uh, my name's Nelson. And, you know, uh, would you like to take a look? No. For those of you who are not uh, call porters here, I just committed a, a sin. <laughs> That's called cussing at the door. You don't, you don't say, you know, would you. You don't ask. You say, I'll let you take a look. So I wasn't following my canvas. I wasn't Kim Peek. I didn't have it perfectly memorized, right? Oh, man, it was, it, it was a culture shock to me, you know, soy milk and everything. Um, I fought that for two years, actually. I only used applesauce in my cereal. Some of my other friends who were more resolute, they used water and orange juice, but not me. Okay, so, 
So that's where God led me. And friends, I'm telling you, that first summer was a turning point in my life. A turning point. The Bible had always been dry and, and, and uninteresting to me. Only Ellen White's books were interesting to me for about three years after my conversion. But it was that summer, underneath the oak tree at the Carmichael SDA Church, that the story of Naaman opened up. And all of a sudden, it was like looking at a 3D picture. And I was like, wow, this applies to me. And I shared it with my leaders. And my leaders were like, you should share that for worship. So I shared my first call portering worship. It was incredible. I saw my leaders. And, uh, you know, one of them, Jonathan Chitwood, the program head, one day after, after church service, all of us were hungry, especially the guys. And we could smell the potluck food. Mmm. You know, it had been a long week. You know what I'm talking about? You're ready to pounce on that food. And, and uh, so we went back to the back of the church where the guys were staying, and we started changing, and we were leaving. And I noticed that Jonathan wasn't leaving, so I said to Jonathan, what are you doing, man? Come. And he stayed. And I said, what are you doing, man? Come. And he stayed. And then he told me, well, I'm fasting. And now to me, like to you, that might not be a big deal. But to me, to see that there was a young guy who I knew this guy was hungry. I knew he was hungry. He was only a few years older than me. I knew he was hungry. He was a leader. He was a program head. He was doing more work than me. And yes, believe it or not, the, the leaders do do more work than you. I knew he was hungry, and yet he was fasting. To me, that was such a great testimony and a witness to a person who would put spiritual things above carnal. I was just, it, uh, I still remember that to today, to today. Powerful witness to me. Well, anyway, my first summer was done. I went back to school, did my senior year at Rio Lindo Academy, caught, completely threw myself into school and, and friends and everything, you know, left the soy milk behind, and I just kept on going. And, uh, and I said, well, that was good. That was a nice experience. Never going to do it again. All right, what's next? Signed up to go to, you know, uh, uh, Adventist University. Had been through Adventist schooling, first grade through, all the way. When, towards the end of my year, as we were getting closer to graduation, God started bugging me. And he started telling me, in only the way that God knows how, that I needed to go again. And back in those days, after you successfully completed one year, one summer of uh, MAGA books, and you were old enough, you were invited to do big books, which is this hardcover sets during the summer. That's what I was invited to do. I'm telling you, I fought it, I fought it, I fought it. I don't have time to share that right now because we have a lot more to cover. But I fought it so hard that my entire last part of that year, graduation, everything was just, I felt like Jonah in the digestive enzymes of the whale. I was running away from God. I told my friend even afterwards, I told Scott as Taco Bell, as we were celebrating after graduation, I told Scott, I'm just going to have to make it up to God some other way. I went back home. God just convicted me so hard. He told me, Nelson, if you don't go to those doors this summer, somebody's not going to make it into the kingdom because of you. I broke down. I told my parents, I said, Mom, Dad, I know you're probably not going to understand this. I told you I was going to stay home and help you remodel the house, but I've got to go. And my leaders told me that I need to be down in Fresno by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning for worship. <laughs> and my dad let me go. 5.30 the next morning, I started driving, had to stop two times because of the stress. I broke down because of the tears. I could not, almost couldn't force myself to do it. But I went, I, met, I, I went, I showed up at 10. Punctuality, it's very important. In fact, my leader told me afterwards that they were intimidated by me because I showed up exactly at 10. <laughs> and they said, we better be on time as leaders because if he shows up at 10, we have to be to high standard too. Well, anyway, so 
So the first two weeks of that program, the only thing that made me happy was the thought that I had my own car in Big Book so I could drive away whenever I wanted. And, oh, it was so hard. But eventually, eventually, I got, I got the hang of it. I got the hang of it. In fact, it came to the point where Bill Crick had to sit me down and he had to tell me, Nelson, essentially, in his tactful way, you have a bad attitude, you're bringing the program down. <laughs> so then I turned around and became positive and ended up selling a lot of books in a, in a row. I think one set per day for 10 days. Um, God was blessing. And I was enjoying it now. And I thought, okay, now I'm done. Now I can go and do what I want to do. You know, as soon as I get the summer out of the way, I'm just going to go do what I want to do. But God said, no, 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 no. I know that your friends have plane tickets to go to that university, and you've already made plans, and the four of you were going to go, and I know your parents want you to go, and these kind of things, but um, I want you to go to this other school. And by the way, this is not a recruiting talk. I'm just telling my testimony. And the school was, a, it was an acronym, a five-letter five acronym, out in the middle of the desert of Arizona. And um, it's on the western side of the United States. If you haven't figured out what that is yet, I'll just tell it to you, Souls West. God kept convicting me to go, and I didn't want to go. In fact, that year, they didn't even have a recruiter to Souls West. They didn't even have a recruiter. Nobody talked to me about it, except for Hope once, if she's in here. And... Um, over and over again in my devotions, God would just keep speaking to me, speaking to me. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. And eventually, I just, I was spending mornings, entire mornings, wrestling with God about this issue. I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to leave my friends. I didn't want to leave my career that I was planning on going down and doing pre-med. I didn't want to leave aside all, I didn't want to. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to go to two-year school unaccredited in the middle of the desert and knock on doors for two years. I didn't want to do it. My parents didn't want me to do it. I think the Lord was the only one who wanted me to do it at that point. <laughs> but, then, but then I said, God, if this is you speaking to me, if this is really you, you've got to show me absolutely for sure. Absolutely. When you ask that question, be ready. Next morning, I open up Patriarchs and Prophets, go to the chapter randomly about Abraham being called to leave Ur, I'm reading through, and this is what I find. Many are still tested, as was Abraham. They do not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens, but he calls them by the teachings of his word and the events of his providence. They may be required to abandon a career that promises wealth and honor, to leave congenial and profitable associations, and to separate from kindred, to enter upon what appears only to be a path of self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. Self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. S-O-U-L-S. God has a work for them to do. But a life of ease and the influence of friends and kindred would hinder the development of the very traits essential for its accomplishment. He calls them away from human influences and aid and leads them to feel the need of his help and to depend upon him alone that he may reveal himself to them. Who is ready at the call of providence? to renounce cherished plans and familiar associations? Who will accept new duties and enter untried fields, doing God's work with firm and willing heart for Christ's sake, counting his loss as gain? He who will do this has the faith of Abraham and will share with him that far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory with which the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Well, I had to go. You know that was God speaking, folks. That was him speaking. 
every single reason why I didn't want to go was addressed. So I went. And you know what? I don't regret one bit of it. As I look in retrospect over those two years, and, that, and as I look even, even farther beyond, because I graduated from there in 2006, and what is it, 16 now? So 10 years ago? Almost, almost 11? As I look in retrospect, I can see perfectly now what God had in mind. I can see it. I can, and my parents can see it. My family, my friends, they can see it too. But I had to step out in faith. But God ritually rewarded. So anyway, after two years of Souls West, I got invited to work for Central California Conference. And uh, God wasn't done with me yet. He wanted me to not just know him, but he wanted me to make him known. Make him known. Make him known. So I was invited to work for Central California Conference. And after about a year and a half of overseeing Bible workers, um, some circumstances came together. And eventually, I was able to play, play one of the lead roles in starting this ministry called GLOW. And, uh, and, 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 and th one thing just came after another, after another. It just came together, and it's still coming together. And, 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 and we're, we're literally, God is opening up doors so quickly, we're just trying to keep our nose above the water. We're trying to keep up the pace with the doors God is opening. There's so many church members that want to get involved in distributing literature in many different languages, in many different parts of the world. And, and I, I wouldn't have even been in this position right now if, if God wouldn't have been just directing me step by step by step by step by step. And I would have been obedient to do that. All glory goes to him, of course. So, so GLOW right now is, 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 um, is expanding to a lot of different parts of the world church. This is a map of, of how the world church, the Adventist church, divides up the world. They divide it into 13 sections called divisions and uh, one gigantic union. And uh, we're working uh, at the division level now with about 10 of the 13 divisions. And the other ones we're still working on. We're still knocking on their door. We just had a, a division president the other day sign a contract to use glow tracks. And when he sent it to us, he apologized for sending it late. God is doing amazing things. I'll just share with you one story. This uh, division right here. Uh, well, my little light is not working too well. But the one that's uh, in between America and Brazil, the, the reddish section there that's called the Inter-American Division. Their personal ministries uh, director for that division he had a, a, a big meeting, it's called an advisory meeting, where he invited all of the union directors to come together, and he gave us two hours to present GLOW, and he told his people, this is the main thing that we're going to be doing for the next five years. We're going to be getting our people to pass out tracks. And I was glad we had those two hours, because we had to be translated into Spanish, and we needed those two hours. But after that presentation, they were amped, they were excited, but God wasn't even done with it yet. As soon as I sat back down in the back of that, that meeting room, I got a call on my cell phone from a number that I didn't recognize. And I never answer numbers if I don't recognize who it is. I just let them leave a voicemail. But for some reason, my finger moved over and I pressed the answer button. And before I knew it, it was up to my ear. And uh, this man on the other line starts talking about how he found some of our tracks in this place and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I realized, what? This is a fluke. There's a non-adventist calling my phone right now because they got some glow tracks and it routed to my cell phone. Like, when you pass out a glow track in America, the people who read it, they, they call a phone number on the back. It's a 1-888 number. And then they punch in the state that they're from. And then that routes them to the appropriate place. It never routes to my cell phone. I hadn't answered a call like that since glow began. I felt kind of rusty. And so this, but I, you know, I just listened and this guy's telling me, he says, yeah, so I ordered a garage opener from Amazon and when the package came, 
I found uh, these three glow tracks in this package. And he named the titles to me. And I'm like, okay, great. And he wasn't upset. And he says, yeah, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm an, um, I'm a chaplain at this uh, non-denominational whatever church. And he says, I'd like to order uh, 12 Bible studies for these 12 men that I'm, uh, you know, overseeing right now. I can help you with that. You know, so anyway, we prayed for each other and had a good laugh because I told him it wasn't supposed to go to my cell phone. And, uh, and then after I was done, I went back into that room where we'd just given the presentation and I told all those union uh, personal ministries directors this, this fresh out of the oven story. And I'm telling you, they were so excited. It was amazing. God is working. God is working. So this is incredible what's happening, but I'm going to do the last section here by telling you what I'm most excited about what I'm most excited about. You ready for this? Okay, so, GLOW is expanding, but GLOW is doing mission trips now. Some of you have heard about that? Some of you have been on them. Amen. And folks, we need you. We need you. We need you. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. I'm so excited. I found this quote the other day that totally inspired these mission trips. Look at this. I've never said, seen this before. It's from Ellen White. I was given instruction that as we approach the end, there will be large gatherings in our cities and that preparations must be made to present the truth at these gatherings. Leaflets containing the light of present truth should be scattered among the people like the leaves of autumn. To many who attend these gatherings, these leaflets would be as the leaves of the tree of life, which are for the healing of nations. The time has come when as never before, Seventh-day Adventists are to arise and shine because their light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon them. Folks, the time has come. We now have to get organized. We can't let these large gatherings go by without us doing something about it. Amen? Let's not leave the work to people who are on the fringes of the church. We, as the people who are regular people in the pews, who are in line with the three angels' messages, we should be out there in an organized manner, just like we are with MAGA books, distributing literature by the millions to these people. Amen? I'm going to share with you some of the stories from these mission trips as we're wrapping up here. Here's an icon of America. Our very first mission trip was to Philadelphia. Now, in September this last year, Pope Francis came and visited the United States for the first time. He came to Philadelphia, and uh, somebody had been bugging me to try and get GLOW to go do something at this large gathering. There were supposed to be a one to two million uh, Catholics that were coming together to this large gathering uh, when the Pope Francis was coming, and I was pushing them off. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. That's not my vision, you know? But one Friday night, I was home by myself. My wife was gone somewhere, I think off back home in Germany, and I was home by myself, and it was quiet, and, and, and God started just pricking my mind like he does, you know? And, and, and it kept on, I kept on getting bugged about going and doing something over in Philadelphia, but I didn't want to do it like normal, right? So, 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 but it kept on coming and coming and coming, and eventually I, I said to God, I said, okay, okay, if this is you speaking, if this is you speaking, isn't, you noticing a pattern here, you know? If this is you speaking, what do you want me to do? As soon as I said that, it was almost like a flash drive was stuck in my ear. The plans for the whole mission trip just, poof, they popped in. I ran to my computer, I wrote it down as fast as I could so I wouldn't forget, and as I was writing, I thought to myself, but a million tracks, a million tracks to Philadelphia, that's going to cost a lot of money, Lord. As soon as I said that, boom, an idea came to mind. You know a guy who's a millionaire, you're not doing anything tomorrow, you're not preaching, set up an appointment, go visit him. I made one call, five minutes later, I had secured a meeting with this brother. Drove down there the next day, 
And literally, I had a paper with just chicken scratches for my plan. And I gave it to him. Even on this paper, I had a list of you know, people that I was thinking of inviting. And there was this one guy who I knew distributed a lot of literature, and he had a big beard. But I didn't know his name, so I wrote the bearded guy. <laughs> That's how unprofessional it was. And, and so I gave this to this guy who's a millionaire, and I was just like, you know, this is what we want to do, and, you know, pass out a million tracks, Pope Francis is coming, you know. And he says, how much does it cost? Uh, you know, minimum $25,000. Okay, let me know if you need more. Now, that's how I felt on the inside, but on the outside I was like, okay, so um, let me give you my business card, and, you know, do you... <laughs> Hallelujah, right? So things were coming together. Things were coming together. This was more and more evidence that this is what God wanted me to do, right? And, you know, I didn't want to go out and do this. Who wants to go out and pass out a million tracks, you know, with that amount of people who are of a different, you know, disagreement with you and, you know, and maybe they'll have people come after you later and, you know, my family and these kind of things. And as we got closer to this time, we started advertising for it, recruiting people. As we got closer and closer and closer to the time of the date when this was going to happen, I started feeling these foreboding feelings, these ominous feelings of impending doom. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> you ask my wife, man, every evening for about a week, I felt this. She's sitting back there. I can see her. All right? And it was exactly what Mrs. White said right here. This is what um, uh, Dr. Walsh read today. In fact, it was so perfect that I just put it up here again. She says, often the Christian life is beset by dangers and duty seems hard to perform. The imagination pictures impending ruin before and bondage or death behind. That's exactly how I felt. But you know what? Every time I'd pray about it, God would take the darkness away. Every time. It was such a spiritual battle. And at the very end, at the very end of it all, God gave me a verse, which I loved so much that I wrote it down on a three-by-five card, and I took it in my pocket with me on the whole mission trip. She says, or um, in the Bible, Genesis 28, 15, God says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done that which I've spoken to you. In other words, Nelson, you're going to go out there, you're going to do this, I'm going to bring you back home safe, and you're going to get everything done I told you to do. Amen? And God is faithful. He did exactly that. So we went out, and folks, this is just a picture of one section of the crowd of people. In fact, that was uh, the, the size of some of the security lines, people going through through the security checkpoint. 1.5 million uh, people of the Roman communion were there. We were passing out literature left and right. Amazing stories. I, I'll tell you, our first half day of outreach, we went out, we were passing out literature, and uh, one person was about to commit suicide when they found one of our tracks on the car door. They read it and impressed them so much that they came up to one of our missionaries, found who gave it on their car, and they, they tried to give them a $100 bill because they were so, so powerfully impressed by that. Uh, just a few days later, one of, our, one of our missionaries, Jericho, he was going down the road passing out literature to people downtown Philadelphia, and this guy stops him after he takes two tracks, and he says, where's your partner? Jericho says, what partner? And he says, you know, the big, the big, the big partner, you know, the big guy, you know, describes him. And, and then the guy, says, and the guy says to Jericho, also, where are the other three tracks? And then he names the titles. This title, this title, and this title of the other three tracks. I'm supposed to get five. And Jericho says, What? This brother breaks down to Jericho that two months previous he had had a dream. And in the dream, he saw Jericho and this tall guy coming. And the tall guy said to him, when this brother, when this young guy comes to you, you he has what you need. And you need to make sure you get all five tracks. And he named the titles. If you think I'm exaggerating, well, you can go to our website and you can find uh, the video where Jericho's sharing the testimony himself. Okay? 
Amazing stuff happened, folks. I mean, time is too short to tell you about all the stories, but there were so many people out there that were so grateful to receive the literature. It was amazing. We were literally sometimes having to stop entire crowds as they were exiting because they were just going too fast. Uh, Joey Manzanares, one of your leaders, he'd stop everybody. Hey, everybody. And they'd stop. Did you get to see what you wanted to see? You know, and that kind of thing. Like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And then he passed out tracks to all of them. <laughs> I think Joey was telling me he got out about 7,000 tracks in a very short amount of time with that, that method. I was on a corner passing out literature. Boom, 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 boom. I didn't even have time to talk to people. There were just so many people. Boom, 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 boom. I had two people debating me, one on this side and one, you know, on the other side. And they were just debating me while I was passing out literature. And, you know, it was, it was just incredible. Another guy came up, and he was full-on bearded, wearing a, a hood, sash, the whole bit. He was dressed up identical to Jesus, wandering around in the crowds. And I saw him at my corner. Where I was standing, he walked right by me, and I looked at him. And you know what he had in his hand? A packet of glow. <laughs> a missionary had given him glow, and I guess he was kicking him around too. One guy came and stood next to me. He was not part of our team. He wasn't even an Adventist. And he came and he was talking with me because he saw that I was passing out the tracks. He'd gotten one of our tracks earlier. He'd watched the, the video that was on the back that our, that our website directed to. And he was so impressed by it that when he found us, he stood next to me and he helped me start, pass he helped me start passing out tracks too. <laughs> Guys, God wanted us to do this. We stepped out in faith and it was amazing. I got to keep moving on. Got to keep moving on. Next mission trip we went to, or we didn't go to, this was uh, organized by Southern Cal Conference. They passed out 600,000 tracks in the course of one weekend. Amen. Amen. All right. They knocked out the entire town of Whittier. After that, at, all right, all right, good. After that, we did the San Francisco Super Bowl mission trip. We passed out another million tracks, and there were amazing stories that came out of that. I just got to share only one, okay? I don't even know what time it is. There's no countdown clock, so I'm going as fast as I can. Um, so, so one of our guys, in fact, he's here somewhere. Uh, Gabriel? Gabriel, there you are. Now, don't correct me if I misshare your story a little bit, all right? But I remember most of the details. So, so Gabriel was going down to a bad section of San Francisco with his team. They're passing out tracks, and he sees these women who are standing by tents, and he starts giving them literature. Oh, they must be homeless, you know, camping or whatever. And they're like, oh, this is great. And they start giving it to the people who are inside of the tents, and you know, that kind of thing. And then he goes to these three really big guys. I think there's three, or at least one. Three, three. Really big guys. And he gives them literature. And the, one of the big guys is like, hey, son, what are you doing? And Gabriel's like, well, you know, we're Christians, Bible tracts, the whole bit. And he's like, all right. Hey, I've seen these, you know. Son, you see that door over there? It's my office. Go put some of your tracts in my office. You know who that guy was? He was a pimp. You know who the women were? Well, they were workers. We met all kinds of people, and they were so grateful. Folks, there were so many thirsty people ready for that literature. It's amazing. One last story. One of our people, Erica, she, she's a, a school teacher for kindergarten right here. She had, she had emptied all, all of her literature, and she only had a 100-pack left of Chinese tracks, and she wasn't in Chinese territory. And so she's like, Lord, what am I going to do? As soon as she prayed that, she sees this huge bus, and a bus in San Francisco... Is guess, I mean, you can guess who's in there. And so the bus starts taking off, and Erica runs in front of the bus, and she stops the bus. 
And, she, and the driver stops, and he's kind of like, what? And she you know, gets in the door somehow and goes in there, and she says, anybody here speak Chinese? And all these eyes pop up. And she says, okay, I, can't, I don't have time to give you, you know, tell you about this, but here, you take this and pass them out. And they start passing out all these Chinese tracks. Amen? All right. As, re- as, a, as a result of that, one of our missionaries himself funded 30,000 tracks to go to Palo Alto. They did that immediately afterwards. Or not, well, just a few months afterwards. Kenny, he's not here right now. Then one of our other missionaries did their own mission trip. I think they distributed 40,000 tracks in Tennessee in an afternoon with a group of people. You see, and I'm adding these on. Then there was one of our people, another missionary from our group, that led their own literature uh, distribution missionary trip up to, I think it was Wisconsin. They passed out 22,000 tracks in the course of, I think, just one day to a bunch of Hmong people at a gathering there. Some of them are right here. Oh, there's Tara. She's the one who led it. And then, um, okay, are you excited yet? Man, this is amazing. I am just so pumped about this. And we need you. We need you. Okay, last. Oh, man. Okay, now I'm going to talk about future trips, and this is exciting. Guys, we're putting together a mission trip right now. We're only going to be able to accept eight people. Eight people. And we're going to go. Do you guys know where Yellowknife is? It's, it's above Canada where the sun barely sets. And up there, there's little villages of 100, 200 people. They call them First Nation. They're Native Americans. Off in the boonies. We're going to go up there only with eight people, and we're going to pass out literature to those people in those remote villages. It's going to be intense. Another one we're doing, it's coming up, is in Chicago. You can hear about that in a little bit. Uh, we're going to pass out a million tracks there. There's also one coming up to Salt Lake City. We're going to go pass out a million tracks right before the General Conference of the Latter-day Saint Church. Uh, We're also going to go, we're working with the Arizona Conference to pass out literature uh, and a mission trip in the reservation, the Indian reservations, out in the sticks there in Arizona. There's one coming up in Upper Columbia Conference. There's another one potentially coming up in in, uh, Tennessee. Um, There's one, oh, this is the one i got to tell you about. This is one I need you the most on, all right? God needs you the most on, in Romania. The General Conference has asked us, and the Romanian Union, the Romanian Union has asked us to bring out missionaries. In fact, today I got an email from our person who's doing GLOW coordination in Europe. She was at a rally just like this with young people, and she's recruiting over there. And I'm talking to you today. So this is, this is you know, going on in two places at once. And we're going to go to Romania, pass out a million tracks, and every one of these tracks is going to second as an, as an advertisement to invite people to come throughout Romania to 1,200 simultaneous evangelistic meetings. The last day, the last day of our mission trip is the first day of those meetings. It'll be hot, fresh in their minds, and then they're going to be, we're sending out basically a million invitations to invite people. It'll be in the dead of the winter. You got to be strong. You got to wear a big jacket, but you don't have to speak Romanian. The tracks will do that for you. All right. We're going to also reach a bunch of gypsy communities out there while we're at it. Uh, We're also doing one to Ukraine uh, almost at the same time. Um, And then one to Sweden. Sweden. Pope Francis is coming to Sweden this fall, and that one's coming together right now. Uh, we're going to be going to Sweden to pass out 144,000 tracks. Amen. Amen. I'm not personally going on that one, but Joel Mutre is. He's from Norway. He speaks some of the language, and it'll be a great experience. Then there's one coming up to Japan. We're working with Daniel Fukuda to put that one together, and there's more. So, folks, here's the point. Remember, what's the main emphasis? To know God and to make him known. I want to invite you right now, those who have the cards in the back, I'd like those to be passed out. We're going to pass out to you right now a card which has website information on it. 
that I'd like to direct you to, glowmissiontrips.org. Folks, don't get me wrong. This is not an advertisement for a ministry. This is a call for you to continue evangelism that you've been doing all summer long. God needs young adults. God needs young adults who are not already married and have children and have other responsibilities in life. God needs young adults who are able to be physically capable of doing some of these mission trips in some of these dangerous areas like up in the, the Native American villages. We need your help. God needs you. You can go to the website and uh, see some of the mission trips that are posted on the homepage, but if you click on the trip tab, you'll see all of them. Read about them, pray about them, sign up. And, uh, you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is part of my testimony, folks. I know, I know that God was the one who brought me to the place that I'm at today. And I know that it's God who has moved upon us to start to do these trips and to start to get young adults involved in passing out literal millions of tracts to people who would not receive literature otherwise. Did you know that Ellen White says that we're not to even discard one piece of torn literature that comes from our press? Because she says we don't know the impact that that torn piece of literature can have on a true seeker after the truth. And that's just one piece of torn literature. Imagine a million tracts going out into Romania, into Chicago, into Salt Lake, into the reservations, into some of these places. Let me tell you, folks, I was just a couple days ago talking to the division president for the uh, Trans-European Division that oversees England and Scandinavia and these other places. And I told him, I said, I want to go and do a mission trip to Greenland. You all know where Greenland is? That's pretty far north. And I said, we also want to do a mission trip to this place. It's an island that's north of Norway, which is up in, I think it's in the, it's, if it's not in the Arctic Circle, it's pretty close to it. And he said, just send me an email with two paragraphs and I'll push it through. Folks, not anybody's just going to be able to go there. We have to have young people who are powerful and who still have energy and life in them. So visit the website. There's the tracks uh, and, and, or the cards to direct you to them. I'd like to close with a story here. I'd like to close with a story that I'll never forget. Recently, recently I was on a, on a flight from, from uh, one European country to, to Holland. And uh, when I was on this flight, I sat down next to a very well-educated woman. And she was from the Netherlands. And uh, she was with her husband. And the husband was a medical doctor, and she was a psychologist. Um, actually a teacher at a university, I think she taught psychology, and very well educated. And I sat down next to this woman and, you know, we chatted a little bit and, and I thought to myself, you know what, this woman, I want to see if God can, can, can rope her in a little bit. So on purpose, I opened up my Bible and I just silently read my Bible for a few minutes. And then I closed my Bible and I put it away. And um, sure enough, I cast the lure and caught a fish. This woman, a few minutes later, she turned to me and she said, uh, what were you just reading? And I shared with her, oh, I was just, you know, reading something out of the Bible, and uh, we began a, a spiritual conversation. And come to find out that this woman uh, was so uneducated about the Bible that she thought that the whole Bible was just the book of Proverbs because that's what I was reading. And uh, as we began to, to talk to each other, she eventually asked me, she said, so, so um, you know, what, what church do you go to? And I told her, well, you know, I go to a Seventh-day Adventist Christian church, and, and I began to explain to her, you know, uh, some of the things that we have in common with regular Christians. 
And she stopped me and she said, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. She said, I want to hear why you're a Seventh-day Adventist. What's the difference? And so, you know, I was taken a little bit aback. And I shared with her some of the differences, you know, our belief in the state of the dead and the Sabbath and these things. And in the course of that, I was able to give her a tract called Myths About Hell. And when she looked at that tract, she said, you know, it's very interesting because my, my associate at the, at the university, he's actually writing a book right now about hell and how it doesn't exist. And I said, oh, great. Oh, really? Great. Well, here's a second copy for you. So she took that one and she gladly was going to take it to him. And then at the end of our conversation, she said something that I'll never forget. She said, this educated psychologist, university professor turned to me and she said, you know, you're kind of lucky in a way because you at least have something to believe in. Most of us out here are still looking for that. You know, those cards that you have in your hands, I asked the deacons uh, to pass those out. Uh, there should be a card that has the website, but there also should be another card, if it's not passed out yet, that I'd like them to bring out right now. And this is a decision card. And I'd like us to make a decision tonight. A decision about committing to know God and to make him known. And if you have that card in your hands, uh, the first option, we'll look at it together, is I commit to setting aside daily devotional time to know God this year. Folks, this is so important. If you're not spending time with God on a daily basis, what's the point? The purpose of your existence is to grow in the knowledge of God. That's what we're going to be doing through all eternity. So let's start it today. Let's start it now. If you'd like to commit to that, go ahead and check that off. Option number two here is I commit to leading others to a knowledge of God through literature distribution this year and in 2017. Folks, there's a lot of different ways to help people to know God, but I'm challenging you to distribute literature. It's a simple way. You can add to anything else you're doing this year and next year. The General Conference is working to help us to, to encourage the World Church to distribute one billion tracts during the course of 2017. And what that breaks down to is a hundred pack per person. Can you do that? We should be the leaders in that, showing the rest of the world how North America young adults can get it done. So if you'd like to commit to that, I challenge you, check that off. And lastly, third option here, I commit to visiting, Glo uh, visiting the Glow Mission Trip website and praying about attending a mission trip. Folks, God needs you. We need you. I know that he has set this up. There's supernatural struggles every single time we have one of these mission trips. One of the more recent trips that I went on, I left my, my wife and my baby with my parents. I figured they'd be safe there, but no, they weren't. Satan attacked. Our baby uh, had, had a temperature that spiked, unbeknownst to my wife, up to 105. She went into a seizure, stopped breathing, turned blue. They had to call it. She stopped. They had to call the ambulance, and she had to go into the emergency room. We're still paying the bills from that. Every time we go on a trip like this, something happens. Satan's not happy. This this uh, mission trip to Philadelphia, my uncle committed suicide, and this man is a judge. He's not crazy. He's a judge. He committed suicide. Shot himself in the head during the mission trip, amongst other things that happened. Satan was attacking. He does every time. And you know what that tells me? I'm not here to glorify Satan. But what that tells me is that Satan doesn't like it and God wants it to happen. Somebody here today is being called to devote themselves to coming on just one mission trip. Somebody here is being called 
to commit to distributing literature all year long. You can be a literature evangelist even when cult ordering is finished. And I hope all of us here are committing to set aside time daily for devotionals with God. You know that text in Isaiah where Jesus says he's, he's got, we're written in the palms of his hands, that he'll never forget us? You know, when, when eternity comes and Jesus looks at the palms of his hands, he's not just going to remember those who are saved. They're not the only ones inscribed there. Jesus died for the whole world. When he sees those scars in his hands, that's the only reminder of sin through all eternity. You know who else he's going to think of? He's going to think of all the people he died for who didn't make it. So we have a choice today. Are we, when Jesus looks at those palms of his hands, is, are we going to be there with him so he can look at our faces? Or are we going to be a forever memory in his mind as he remembers us through all eternity? And it's not just for us, but also for the people who are outside of these walls. All the people all over the world in Romania and beyond. Jesus only has a small window of time to reach these people with the salvation and the three angels' messages that we have to proclaim. Folks, are you willing to devote your lives to that? Amen? If you are, please stand with me. And let's have a prayer of commitment. Father in heaven, tonight we thank you so much that... Uh, we can work for you. Thank you, Father, for choosing us. I know each person is here because you've worked in their lives. Father, we might not even recognize it, but you are slowly, almost imperceptibly sometimes, with your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts to draw us to you. And Father, tonight, for many of us, you're calling us to take and make a commitment to making you known outside of this summer, year-long, through literature, and the written word. Father, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of those who you are calling to take a stand, to come, to go to the front lines with us, if at all possible, to help us reach multitudes of people who are unwarned. Let them know of the three angels' messages. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. I thank you for every young person who's here. I thank you for what you've done in my life through literature evangelism, and I thank you what you're doing through their lives. Bless us as we go from here guide and direct our steps and help us to, to know you, Lord, and to make you known. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.